Welcome here. My name is Jeremy. I'm glad you're here to worship with us. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. If not, welcome. We are so glad you're here. We have uh, some Bibles in the back by the doors. If you didn't see one next time you're here, feel free to grab one. There'll also be words up on the screen, and I'll read them to you too, so you shouldn't get lost, but we welcome you. Um, today, I want to begin our sermon with a little experience that perhaps is common to many of us, and if it's not, just go along with it. It'll be fun even though, and what it was is this. This last week, I was at one of these practices for my children, and so if you've ever been to one of these things, whether as a grandparent, uncle, niece, nephew, whatever, what you usually do is you, everyone just kind of piles in at the appropriate time, and there's bleachers, and there's kids running around, and you sort of eye the bleachers, and you're not going to just, you know, walk up next to someone you don't know and just shoulder up to them and smile and do something weird. So you kind of pick your space and you pick your spot and you plunk down and there you are. I began to watch as different people came in and did that and it's really fun. I don't know if you do this sometimes or not, like in an airport or something, but I'm kind of a people watcher. It's kind of fun just to see the different types of people that come and the way they interact. And I was watching this go down at the practice and sure enough, you know, different moms and dads are coming in, and one guy comes in several minutes late to the practice, and he's got some khaki pants and a nice pair of shoes and a black jacket with a little emblem on the front, and also a badge hanging down right here with a little red diamond on it. I'm like, okay, I'm starting to follow this, right? And he goes, and he sits next to someone who looks kind of like that, and before long, there's a little exchange given and then a building number is dropped and then a few names come into the conversation and before long connections are made and we know where we stand right we've just sort of sized each other up and established our common ground and we have things to talk about and here we are now we're watching our kids next comes in a fellow with you know some big heavy boots and some rugged jeans and a nice carhartt jacket and his name on his shirt right he sits down, and everybody sort of takes their place, and of course, there's me. I, I'm describing everybody else. I don't know how you describe me, whatever I am, but I'm in there too, and it's kind of interesting as a guy. Maybe you guys don't do this, but it, it just so happens in my mind that the way things go is you just instantly, whether inadvertently or intentionally, sort of size each other up. You know, it's it's like, oh, this person's important, they came in in a nice car, and this person's this, and this person's that, and, you know, usually there's sometimes an exchange, hey, what keeps you busy during the day, or what do you do, and I'm always interested to know, how am I supposed to answer that, and it's a hard, hard answer, because I can give away my cards right away, and say, yeah, I'm a pastor, and then whoosh, some people shut you down, and other people open up, you know, it just depends on where they're coming from, other times I've said, well, I work for an international organization. <laughs> what, well, who's your boss? Well, he goes by a number of different names. You know, he's powerful. He's got all kinds of resources. Actually, he's pulling the strings behind every government there is. <laughs> Don't ask any more questions. <laughs> you know? That's what I like to imagine. <laughs> but in reality, I just walk out in the parking lot to a 15-year-old car that's got rust around the rims and drive away, and that's who I am. There's really nothing there for me to find my dignity in, but it's interesting to watch as everybody else somewhat, I mean, and I do too, everyone really does. We, we, 
we have this need, I think, as human beings for dignity. And I think that's very natural and I think it's very real and it's very appropriate. In fact, when you read scripture, you find that God, creating us in his image, gave us inherent dignity. Psalm 8 says, what is man that you are mindful of him? What does it mean to be a human being and the son of man that you care for him? Yet, here's the dignity you've given him. You made him a little lower than the angels, and you crowned him with dignity and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands and put everything under his feet. So in other words, as human creatures, we were inherently created with this dignity we so desperately long for, but the reason we long for it now is that it's been lost. It's gone. Because of the fall, all of a sudden, our image has been defaced, but not erased, destroyed, and as a result, we've lost the inherent dignity that comes with it. The problem is, is we get on this kick where we want to find our own dignity, and we're pursuing this path to sort of reclaim it, but the path we're on is the wrong one. To get our dignity back, we are going in the wrong direction. And so what I want to do for you today is help you go in the right direction so that you can claim all of the dignity that God designed you for. Today in Philippians 3, we're going to look at a guy who is originally pursuing his own dignity with all his might. Now let me tell you, this guy had it all. If he walked into the room, you would turn your head, you would look, you would notice his clothes, you would hear his articulate speech. You would watch people crowd around him. You would smell his expensive cologne or perfume. You would see that he has the job, the position, the power, the influence, the affluence, and all the respect that came with it. Yet, despite having all of that, being born into the right family, having the right pedigree, growing up, going to the right schools, getting everything a parent could want for this, their child, this one person decided that that path was not the right path, as a result, he gave it up, counting all of it as rubbish. And what he discovered along the way was that what he thought would give him dignity did not. And actually, by giving it up, he acquired that which he never could have on his own. Of course, this person I'm speaking of is the Apostle Paul. And Philippians chapter 3 tells a little bit of that story in the sense of contrasting two different approaches. The first approach it's going to lay out is the pursuing your own path, and the second is the giving it all up. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. This is the third chapter of this letter to the folks in Greece that Paul is writing from prison. And he really likes them, and he cares about them, and he wants to encourage them. And so he's going to draw some contrast between the wrong path and the right path. And you say, hey, you want dignity? You want the right stuff? Let's go in this direction. Philippians chapter 3 says this. The Apostle Paul begins and he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write these same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Now here's some things not to rejoice in. Don't rejoice like these people. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. 
though I myself have reason for confidence in flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now here's all these Jewish things that basically say he's the stuff. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Bam, I got it all. However, here's what I'm actually after. Whatever, I, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I do this so that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Philippians chapter 3 verse 1 begins with this main idea, of a single, single command, which is to rejoice in the Lord. Now when I say that, I think, depending on what background you come from, that could sound pretty churchy. I mean, that's just sort of up here. Rejoice in the Lord, glory, hallelujah, amen. <laughs> what does that mean, all right? What I'd like to do today, hopefully, is bring that down two direct notches and say specifically, this is what it is, or this is what it means to rejoice in the Lord. So the controlling command of this section, I'm going to use a different theme. I'm going to say it differently. I'm going to say it in our terms. But the way he says it, here's the main idea for this passage. Rejoice in the Lord. That's what the apostle wants you to do. Rejoice where? In the Lord. Now, before we go too far, let's not assume by this phrase that we simply mean some sort of Pollyanna, pie in the sky, everything is rosy all the time, wishy-washy, artificial mentality. That's not what Paul is saying. In fact, it's the exact opposite. What he's saying here, we'll get to in a little bit, but we'll work it through these two examples. The first is what not to do, and the second is what to do. So the first verse, few verses, verses 2 through 6, say this is what not to rejoice in. If you want to rejoice in the Lord, don't rejoice in this. Here, here's the bad example, and then we'll get to the good example. So the first, first bad example is this. The apostle says in verse 2, he says, hey, three times, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What's happening here in a staccato-like fa fashion is the apostle Paul is sort of escalating. He's emphasizing, look out, look out, look out. You know, it's this heightened sense of here's a real problem and he's actually calling them names which is uh, quite direct and he's aggressively taking on this thing that significantly bothers him so what is it that bothers him so much well he calls them dogs but really what these people are is they are Judaizers Judaizers are simply Jews who are trying to convert Christians to become Jews, to say, hey, in order, Jesus is good, but Jesus isn't enough. 
In order to really follow Jesus, you have to be Jewish. So adding to your faith or adding to your Christianity, you also need to include Sabbath keeping, you need to include special ceremonies, you need to include circumcision and all these other traditions and rites that we practice. You need to include that as well. Why? Because Jesus isn't enough. (laughs) Is that true? Of course not. Is Jesus enough? Absolutely. And so to say something like this is actually extremely insulting to the blood of Christ. You are devaluing Jesus and what he did on the cross when you say his blood is not enough. Don't let anyone ever tell you you have to do something other than believe in Jesus to be saved. When they do that, They are directly insulting God himself. That's a sin. That is horrible. Jesus is enough. And the apostle is significantly bothered to it, so much so that he's going to go after these people and say they're dogs, they're mutilators, they're going after the flesh. These folks aren't even Christians. They're crazy. Now, this word dog, you know, we're North Americans, and we think, oh, dog, cute, you know, (laughs) Fido, little fuzzy, fluffy thing. We give them a collar, we give them a bath, and they got all their shots, and they even smell nice. In reality, what the apostle is talking about is more like uh, sort of the mangy uh, mongrels you'd see in an undeveloped part of the world where they have no shots, not enough food, they're eating out of the dumpsters, they're carrying disease, they're full of worms, and if you walk in the midst of a pack of them, they might actually turn on you and attack you as well. So he's really going after these people, and the irony is these are the Jews who would in fact call Gentiles dogs. Right? Because to a Jewish person whose only concern is ceremonial cleanliness, to be around anything they would consider filthy would make them unclean. What is the most filthy thing they can think of? A dog. So if some Gentile, some non-Jewish person walks into the room, they'd say, hey, you're a dog. So essentially, the apostle is flipping the script. He's turning the thing back over on them and saying, man, when you try to add to the perfect and complete work of Christ, You are behaving like a mangy mongrel, a rabid, disgusting, filthy animal, a dog. Yours is not a true system of salvation, but a way of works that is complex traditions and man-made systems, but ultimately it is not a supernatural system. And the only thing that can save you is that which comes from outside of you, not inside of you. It is supernatural, not natural. Salvation is something other than ourselves, not something we can do. And so, essentially, they're perverting the gospel. They're detracting from the work of Jesus, and that's a problem. So Paul says, now that's a lot of theology, but now we're going to get to the nitty-gritty here. Paul says, so essentially what I am going to do is flush that stuff down the toilet. You've got a word here in your uh, ESV translation. It's called rubbish. Any of you used the word rubbish this week? Someone said something to you and you said, oh, bull rubbish. (laughs) Probably not, right? It's a nice genteel expression. It almost sounds British. 
it's a translator's way of trying to be very careful to dance around the fact that this word here is potentially the only swear word in the entire Bible. Uh, this is one of those words that only happens once. It's found in extra biblical literature. I'll read you the um, dictionary's definition. It is this. Uh, scubula is the Greek term, the vulgar term for fecal matter. In other words, what Paul is saying, what they gently translate as rubbish, you know, is... Right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's what Paul's saying here. And he repeat. well, he only uses that word once, but before that he says, here's the slide, uh, verse 7. He says, whatever I had gained, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything lost and counted them as scubala. <laughs> There's one Greek word you're going to remember, right? That's the way it was with all the guys in my class. It's so funny. There's other words in the Greek New Testament that occur three, four hundred times. What's the one word you remember? <laughs> This one right here. He's making a very strong point. When they bring their tradition and they impose it upon us or they try to impose it upon you, anything else other than Jesus should be counted as rubbish. Why? Here's the goal, verse 9. The goal is not to acquire all of those other things, but instead to be found in Him, not having a righteousness that is that of your own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ. In other words, you're wearing a badge, you're driving a car, you're doing this or you're doing that. You came from this family, you came from that family. It doesn't matter. Scuba rubbish, bah humbug, fooey. Flush that stuff down the toilet. It has no bearing on your eternal soul whatsoever. I don't care if your grandma was a preacher. I don't care if your grandma was a slave. It has nothing to do with you. The only way you're getting there is through your relationship with Jesus. And that's why Paul says here, I am going to throw all of that other stuff completely to the trash and flush it down the toilet in order that I can find Christ. So what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? How does scuba <laughs> have anything to do with rejoicing in the Lord? Because the first part of rejoicing in the Lord is realizing that you're not rejoicing in yourself. <laughs> no matter who you are, who you think you are, who somebody else tells you you are, you can't rejoice in yourself. There's nothing good in and of yourself. You have to flush that away. So the first part of rejoicing in the Lord is not floating around through the sky, but it's saying, whoever I consider myself to be, or whatever I think is valuable, <laughs> goodbye. So the first part, here's, I'll give you two parts. Here's the theme for today. Another way to say rejoice in the Lord is to disregard your own credentials and claim Christ. Disregard your own credentials and claim Christ. You take whatever you thought was gain and you consider it loss. And then what you actually claim is Christ's credentials. So the first part we looked at, disregarding your own credentials, what not to do like these Judaizers. Let's look at the second part, what to do, claiming Christ credentials like Paul. So, here's an example of that from Jeremiah chapter 9. He transitions as well. He says this, 
Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So what to do? Well, rejoice in the Lord. Well, what do you mean, Pastor, rejoice in the Lord? Well, you understand what rejoicing is. We do that naturally when we experience something we enjoy. But notice the second part of that clause, which says, in the Lord. In other words, this is in a different sphere. This is not just when your team wins or you have a good day or whatever, but this is in the sphere of Christ himself, the eternal, unchanging God. So it's not your credentials, which sometimes those go up and down, depending on promotion or whatever. It's not your circumstances, which those definitely go up and down, but rather in the Lord. In this specific sphere, this is where joy exists that is undiminished and unassailable and unchanging despite all the circumstances in your life. Rejoice in the Lord. Now still, we may not know what to do, but let me help. Here's one of the neat things about Hebrew poetry. I'm not just getting esoteric. I promise there's a point. There's this thing called parallelism. In other words, the way they would write their poetry is they'd say one line, and then they'd say another line. And they'd stack them together so that if you didn't get the first line, the second line explains what the first line meant. So... It's like when a parent says to you, all right, let me say it again, or let me say it like this, or let's try this another way. That's what Hebrew parallelism. So, in the Psalms, you hear a lot about the rejoicing in the Lord. The question then to ask is, what's in the next line that tells us what that actually is? Here is an example. Psalm 6410, and I think this is huge. If you can come away with this today, you will have a changed perspective on what it means to rejoice in the Lord. Here's what it says. Let the righteous one rejoice, okay, there's part one, in the Lord, and take refuge in him. To take refuge in the Lord is essentially to rejoice in him. In other words, rejoicing isn't just being happy or putting a smile on your face, but after having disregarded your credentials and claiming Christ, you say, in this thing, in this sphere, in this person, in this element, I can root myself and rejoice. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. He never changes. His love is unchanging. His perfection is absolute. And if I am in him, this means that God's grace is greater than all of my mistakes. All the time. God is good. Therefore, rejoice in the Lord all the time. You can. Why? Because of Jesus. Look, here's, here's another way to say it. His blood is more precious, his sacrifice is more effective, and his resurrection is more powerful than all my sin. What do I mean by that? Well, look, my sin is costly. Right? Like it cost a lot. It cost me. It cost others. But Jesus' blood is more costly. It's more valuable. It is like a billion dollars versus a thousand dollar debt. It super covers it. Super abundantly. Jesus' blood is more precious. Now, 
his sacrifice is more effective. My sin has an effect. My sin, it sometimes carries over, not only in today, but maybe the next day and the next day and the next day. It has effects. But Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is more effective. It goes into eternity over all sin, everywhere of everyone. So my sin is effective indeed. It has an effect, but Jesus' sacrifice is more effective. Jesus' resurrection is more powerful. Sometimes our sins hold us in their sway. It holds us captive and we feel like we can't escape. But Jesus' resurrection is powerful enough to bring you back from the brink of death itself. That's more powerful. (laughs) Unless you're dead, and even if you are, Jesus still wins. There is time for repentance and for turning and for change. Because his resurrection is more powerful. He proved it. You can't deny it. It's inarguable. So his blood is more precious. His sacrifice is more effective. And his resurrection is more powerful than all our sins. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in the Lord. That is the unchanging eternal sphere that is unaffected by anything in your daily life. By your surgeries, by your jobs, by your children, by everything. The Lord. He never changes. And notice, again, I'm not saying it means that when something bad happens, you're like, woohoo! No, no, that's not rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord is, boy, I can't handle this myself. I don't have a chance. Those are my credentials. I'm not going to make it. But Jesus does, and he did, and he can, and he will. And because I am in him, I know that no matter what, no matter what, come what may, worst of all worst, it'll still be okay. Because I am in him. Therefore, I trust in his credentials. I claim his grace. I claim his forgiveness. I claim his resurrection. I claim his power, and I claim his spirit working inside of me. Because these are the things he promised to me and they won't go away. And I'm not going to let those promises escape. They're mine. Give them to me now, Lord. You said you would. I know you will. You did. You are. And hallelujah, it's done. Victory in Jesus. You win. Why? Because you're rejoicing in the Lord. (laughs) If I'm rejoicing in myself, it doesn't look like that. (laughs) Not at all. I don't have the credentials. I don't have the claim. And I'd be a fool if I thought I did. Rejoice in the Lord. Discredit your own credentials and follow Christ. That's what it means to take refuge in Him. When the Bible says rejoice in the Lord, it just means take refuge in Him. Discredit your own credentials and grab His and hold on. Don't let Him go. So the question then for us becomes, I think the application is pretty obvious at this point, what are you rejoicing in? In other words, where are you taking refuge? And honestly, I probably don't have to look that far to figure it out. It's called Facebook, right? I can look in your Facebook page and I can see what you're excited about. I just got unfriended about five times, all right? Good. Here's the thing, you know, we put up there coffee, wine, cheese, sports, friends, vacations, nature, jokes, politics, whatever. And these are little distractions and things we use as a pastime. And inherently, in and of themselves, they may not be wrong. But the problem is, 
We get focused on those things. They become the center of our attention. And when they're going well, we feel good. And when they're not, we don't. That means we are taking refuge in them. And that is not the place you want to be. Not taking refuge in any of those other things. Your refuge is in Christ and Christ alone. All those other things change. They go up and down. But Christ never does. Here's the thing. We need dignity. We all do. We desire it. We need it. We were created that way. We want to find dignity, and we look at all these places in our lives where we think we can take refuge, and most of them turn out to be wrong. We find dignity in everything other than Christ. So today I want to challenge you then, and my challenge is this. We, uh, we, I'll explain it a little bit like this. When I was... Um, we had our first child, we were in a hospital room in uh, Columbia, Missouri, University of Missouri's hospital there, and what I noticed at that time, maybe different now, was that it was extremely, from my perspective, unprotected, like the front doors are wide open. You walk up to the doors, and it goes, boop, and opens up. You go, you push the elevator, boop, people come up. You go onto the floor, you walk through the doors, they go, and open up. And then, of course, our hospital room, the door doesn't lock either because the uh, medical staff needs access in and out. So I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm going to sleep, my wife is going to sleep, and here's this brand new little baby that there, like, what if something horrible like this week happens? What am I going to do? You know, I'm just totally defenseless. And at that point, the new father sort of mentality kicked in, and I'm like, man, even if I have to die for that child. You know, even if a bear walks in the door right now and tears me limb from limb, I would watch each limb get pulled off so that it gave them a chance to escape. I mean, it, I'm not saying I'm amazing. I'm just saying that was the feeling I had at that time. It was something I was unprepared for becoming a parent. Here comes this overwhelming sense of nurture and protection to the point of complete self-annihilation. And then what I learned was the bear never came, right? Nor did anything else. But the next day did. When I was tired and worn out and grumpy. And I realized that it's going to be this way for the next 18 years of my life. It's a long road. And then what I realized was, in fact, that the hardest part of parenting is not dying for the kid, but living for the kid. Right? And I think today, in many of our situations, maybe not all, but the hardest part of being a Christian is not going to be dying for Jesus, but living for Jesus. And what that means is, in fact, dying for Jesus every single day. You die to yourself, you give up your own rights, you count it all scuba, rubbish, dung, you throw it in the trash heap, and say, not my will, but yours. And when you pursue that path, all of a sudden you realize that, man, like Paul, you're saying, wow, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. That would be much better. This is hard. It's better for my family. It's better for you. It's better for this church, Paul says, that I live. Dying is better. I mean, dying is so much better for me, but the living, man, that's the hard stuff. Look at how Jesus lived. 
his path was like this. He humbled himself. You know, God of everything comes and born into nothing. He submitted himself. How many people enjoy that? Man, try marital counseling and the first word comes out of your mouth is submit and the people look at you like, what? You, you still talk about submission these days? Yeah, actually we do. Jesus submitted himself. He served. He suffered. And yet, he ascended. So the path to dignity is not the road that we would take, but the road that Christ takes, which is humility, submission, service, and suffering. Here is your path, O church. Follow this one. The way to greatness is on your knees. Our path then is exactly the same. Exactly the same. You want to know how to live for Jesus? You die to yourself. Humble yourself. Submit. Serve. Suffer. And then you will ascend. In other words, what I'm telling you is put it in gear and go. You've been given this great thing called salvation. It is in your lap. It is charged up like a Dodge Challenger. All you got to do is push on the gas, but the way is not to go to the front of the class, but the back. Don't grumble or complain, but overcome fear with faith. Put it in gear and go. That's a steep path, I know, to be sure. But that's my path. I hope it's yours too. So that this week or next week or whenever the case might be that you go to your next practice or event or whatever and everybody walks in and unintentionally or intentionally you size each other up. You can realize like me that I'm really not a slave to Tao, even though I may feel that way. I don't work for the CIA. I'm just a pastor. And I don't have a name tag or anything else, but I do have a seal. And that seal is the Holy Spirit. And he marks me for sanctification and suffering and for eternity. He marked you as well. So when you go somewhere this week, even if you have to put on a name tag, even if you have to wear it, whether it's the badge or whether it's something on your shirt or whatever, I want you to see that tag and know that ultimately you are not theirs but His. That you are the Holy Spirit's, that He has sealed you and you are His slave, and ultimately your identity is not with anything other than Jesus. You take all of that other stuff and throw it away. Now, no one's getting out of this because even if you're jobless or retired, the same is true for you. You still have a job even if you're jobless. And your job is Jesus. <laughs> Following him just like everybody else. Humbling yourself, submitting yourself, serving and sacrificing so that you can ascend. Rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. Disregard your credentials claim Christ. Father, we thank you 
for Jesus. Our only hope, our only treasure, and God may also be our only desire in this world. Lord, admittedly, we confess there's a lot of things that tug at us, things we have to do, things we desire to do, things we want to do. But ultimately, we pray, God, that you would help us to get rid of all the other stuff that's meaningless and pursue you. Wherever we're at, Lord, at work, at home, play, help us to die to ourselves and live for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.